Amen, amen. You may be seated if you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do. Find the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus, continuing our way, section by section, verse by verse, through the book. And friends, we find ourselves out of the instructions regarding the tabernacle. We made it. We made it. But we find a zoom down to the bottom of the mountain, and things are not good at the base of Sinai. Let's look together. Exodus chapter 32, we'll read the whole chapter, and then we're going to see what truth God would have to speak to us today. Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have, turned to, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I've commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people." Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with a great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent that he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had sp spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with two tablets of the testimony in his hands, tablets that were written on both sides, on front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is noise of war in the camp. But he said, It's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of crying of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf 
and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, why did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what what has become of him. So they said, so I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And as and all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And as the sons of Levi did, according to Moses, that day about 3,000 of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, Now, and I will now go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. This is the word of God. Words have power. As you're crafting and putting together a story, one word has the power to change the whole direction and mood of the story you're telling. Consider the power of the word, meanwhile. Meanwhile, everything can be going good until the meanwhile. We once left our dogs out in uh, the living room. We thought, oh, we can go for a quick little walk, have a nice little family walk. Meanwhile, they are eating a hole in the couch, right? And friends, if you're going through bad situations, meanwhile can also be a good news because there may be things going on in the background that you may not recognize, but that is good in the meanwhile and in the waiting. In Exodus 32, I almost called this sermon the messy meanwhile because we've got quite a mess here, don't we? Moses has been up on the mountain since Exodus chapter 20. All in all, basically since Exodus 20, 24, all the way up to this moment has covered about 40 days and 40 nights. 
of Moses on the mountain receiving the law from God. And up until this moment, we've basically been focused there with God, with, with Moses and the presence of God receiving the law. But Exodus 32 gives us the meanwhile. As Moses was there with God, the nation was crafting a God of gold and rejecting the word of God. The nation indulged in idolatry. And I think we're tempted to come to Exodus 32 and go, those ancient people, we would never do something like that. But, I mean, how could they worship a golden calf? Yet I think if they came back today, if we could speak to them and they could see us today, they might say, man, why do they worship that little black box in their pockets? Why are they so obsessed with getting likes and what people think about them? What's Twitter? And why do they obsess over how much they have when they have more than we could ever possibly imagine? In this passage, we find ourselves. So what's going on with this golden calf? Commentators are divided. There's probably an answer somewhere in the middle. Here's some of the options. Some point out, rightly so, that calves and oxes were were the gods of Egypt. Many of them worshipped those gods as the gods of fertility. So what's happening here in Exodus 32 may be a, a case of what's called syncretism. Syncretism, the people trying to sync together and fuse the worship they had in Egypt with the worship of Yahweh and kind of put together. We, in our day, people do this all the time with what I like to call good old boy theology. They get their theology a little bit from church and a little bit from country music, and they kind of put it together and make a God on the other side, right? People do this all the time. But when you fuse the God of the nations with the one true God, you end up losing both in the process. Others argue this is likely a demon of some sort. You know, idolatry doesn't always have to be something fake or make-believe. You can worship something very real and very wicked at the same time. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he was dealing with an issue in his day, the people were sacrificing meats to idols. He said this about the idols they were sacrificing to. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. I like that last part as a verse we could put up on the wall. I don't want you to be participants with demons. You can have a very real religious experience, and it come from a very real creature, and it come from very real evil. And we need to be aware of that. Others point out the connection to the Passover. Remember, at the Passover... The people sacrificed a calf or an ox or a lamb. They sacrificed an animal in order for God to bring them salvation. But now the people had made a calf to save them. The issue, they exchanged God and confused him with the means God used in their life. We do this in church all the time. People will think about the way they've done church in the past and confuse that for God himself for something God has said, the sin of nostalgia, right? Idealizing the past out of proportion to the point that it takes over God itself. Friends, it wasn't the calf that saved them. It was God through the calf, right? 
Either way, regardless of what was really going on here, this shows us the deceptive nature of idolatry. And in Exodus 32, we are all, we all see the temptation toward idolatry. In fact, the question that sums up the passage really is verse 26. Who is on the Lord's side? That's the question for you to consider. Whose side are you on? The side of the Lord or the side of the many idols and false gods that are out there in the world today. And all of us, even the strongest of us believers, are always being tempted on which side we're on. So in this passage, we see four ways that we are tempted to side with idols. Four ways that we're tempted to side with idols. Let's look at the first thing we see. We turn to idolatry when we are tempted by desire. We turn to idolatry when we are tempted by desire. I want you to look at verse 1. Look what happens in the first six verses. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are, in your, that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. While this might seem like an unusual reaction, it's an outworking of very common desires. The people first were impatient. Anybody here ever been impatient, right? God brought them in the wilderness. It's been nothing but excitement, and now they've had to be stuck at the foot of this mountain for 40 days. Couldn't God just hurry up? The people began to be afraid. Moses had been gone so long, they took matters into their own hands. They let their anxiety bring them to the wrong conclusion. Obviously, if he's been gone this long, he must be dead. The people felt tricked and trapped. We came all the way out in the wilderness. Now what? And so the people turned to Aaron, who led them astray. The people experienced peer pressure. Everyone else was starting to take off their gold rings. Maybe I should just kind of jump in. I got to fit in, right? The people even felt sexual desire. As verse 6 speaks of them sitting down to eat and drink and rising up to play, and it wasn't football they were playing. In fact, the word play there appears earlier in Genesis in the life of Isaac, and you can mark this down and read this later if you want. Gen Genesis 26 verse 8, we see that Isaac was playing and laughing with his future wife, Rebecca. Isaac was being a player. He was flirting with her in order to sort of get what he wanted. The word also appears in this encounter between Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And you may know Potiphar's wife was trying to get a certain thing from Joseph that Joseph stood in integrity and didn't give her. And if that wasn't enough, the Apostle Paul 
applies this verse to our lives as a warning. And he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. Idolatry can take all sorts of forms, but it begins with desires in the heart. And sometimes it begins with desires that are outright evil, but friends, sin is often much more crafty than that. The devil doesn't often come to you dressed like the devil. Often, friends, sin and idolatry can begin as a good desire that gets distorted, When a good thing takes the place of God things, it becomes a bad thing. When a good thing begins to take the place of God things, it can become a bad thing. And before the calf was ever formed and worshipped, the heart was already at work crafting an ideal, a falsehood, or even a theology that simply wasn't true. And friends, this is why God has given us his word. And friends, the word of God isn't there just for information transfer. You understand it's not just there to have you think more. It's actually there to transform your hearts. The Bible is the only book that promises that as you read it, it will read you. And transform your hearts and your desires through the power of the Spirit. But the problem that Israel encounters here is, They had forgotten and forsaken the word of God. They had heard God speak from the mountain itself, and yet they had forgotten and forsaken. This leads us to our second point. We turn to idolatry when we are tempted by forgetfulness. We turn to idolatry when we are tempted by forgetfulness. Let's look how this passage continues. Verse 7. And the people said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I've commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of of Egypt. The people had forgotten God's instructions to them. Moses had brought down the Ten Commandments just a little over a month before, and here we find them breaking every single one of them. Let me just give you a taste. The calf was made out of gold and worshiped. That's a clear case of breaking the first and second commandment. No real gray area there, right? But notice they also announced that this idol, as it was coming out of the fire, was Yahweh. It was the Lord. That's breaking the third commandment, taking the Lord's name in vain. They broke the fourth commandment by pronouncing a feast day to the calf. Only the Sabbaths that God commanded them to do were meant to be holy to the Lord, And they broke the rest of the commandments when they led others, including their parents, into idolatry. They bore false witness about God. They coveted what wasn't there. They committed immorality. And who knows, at the rate they were going, they might have even killed a man. And the conclusion about this people was this. They had become like the calf they worshipped. Look at verse 9. 
And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. They're rebellious, forgetful, obstinate. They are a stiff-necked calf. This is how you would speak about a calf or an ox that needs to be broken in. And he says, this nation is just like that. And here's a principle to mark down to remember. You become like what you worship. You will always become like what you worship. Friends, if you worship money, you will become more greedy and never have enough. Worship success, experience burnout. Worship sex, become unsatisfied. Idols are never able to give you what you want. They worshiped a golden calf, and that led them to be stiff-necked and prepared for slaughter. Because the human heart works in such a way that God, even when someone tries to remove God from their life, God is simply replaced with something that's a cheap counterfeit, Someone will always have a God in their life. It will just be something else that cannot satisfy. And so the people are found here doing all of this, and the wrath of God burns against the people. And God then responds with what I believe to be a rhetorical statement to Moses. He says this, Now let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. In other words, God is going, Moses, I'm so mad. I just want to start over with you. Think about that language of making a great nation out of him. That's the same way God spoke to Abraham when he birthed the Hebrew people. Was God really ready for a restart? I don't think so. Rather, I believe God was doing this in order to bring something out of Moses. This is the same way God approached Adam and Eve in the garden and said, where are you? God knew where they were. He was trying to get them to come forward and to have something confirmed and displayed for others to see. God was was doing this in order to call Moses to remember who he was and to pray. In fact, I want us just to see this incredible prayer that Moses prays on behalf of this sinful people. Look at verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with with a great power and with a mighty hand? Imagine praying this in church. Why should the Egyptians say with great intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and and all this land that I have promised. I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Moses prays and implores, God, don't destroy the people. And he gives an argument to God. And he gives two real points of his argument. He's like, I got, I got a two-point outline for you, God. First, don't destroy these people for the sake of your own reputation. What will the Egyptians think? 
don't destroy this people for your glory. Well, they think that you're an evil God who brought them out to destroy them. He looks back on God's glorious works and that leads him to pray and to pray informed by God's glory. And then second, he says, God, consider your promise. You promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that you'd multiply them, make them a great nation, have them be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and if you destroy them, you will not keep your promise. Consider your faithfulness. He looked back, and then he also looked forward to what God had promised to do. And this is an example for us of bold prayer. Prayer that's informed, remember, Moses just came off the mountain in communion with God in the cloud of glory. This is what prayer should be modeled by and being informed by God's word and God's works. And notice what happens in verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster he had spoken to bring on the people. Now, At this point, commentators and others get distracted and go, did God change his mind? I don't think that's the point of the text at all. The Bible tells us several places, Malachi 6.3, others, God doesn't change his mind or change at all. But friends, this was about confirmation. Because see it, though the people had forgotten their God, Moses hadn't. Moses could continue to be a faithful mediator and a faithful priest, and he prays for the people, and they are spared from the wrath of God that was due their sin, and he teaches us how to pray in a way that God receives and responds to, a way to not forget our great and glorious God is to pray being rooted in God's glory informed in God's faithfulness, looking forward to God's promise and constant in his presence. In other words, he's inviting you to pray God's word back to him. There's so often that we treat Bible reading as something we do over here and then prayer as something we do over here. Friends, those are meant to feed one another Do you long to see God do greater things through your prayer life and through our prayer life as a church? Friends, may we begin to pray his promises back to him, to pray his word to him, not because he needs to be reminded, but because, friends, it guides our prayers to make sure we're praying for God's will because he's given us his will, and it transforms us. Because God will keep his word. Exodus 32 shows us that. Idolatry comes when we forget. But God relents when we remember. As Moses did. I actually believe if all the people had responded as Moses did. Waking up from their stupor. Remembering who their God is. I think he would have forgiven them right there. But sadly that isn't what happens. Let's think. Look at the third thing. We are tempted to idolatry when we are tempted by excuses. We turn to idolatry when we are tempted by excuses. Look at verse 15, and I want you to picture this, parents. You have made this walk that Moses is about to make down this mountain. 
Moses turned, went down the mountain with two tablets of the testimony in his hand, two tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Moses heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of shouting for defeat, or the sound of crying of of victory, or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. Parents, you've done this. They're marching down the mountain, and they're beginning to hear things, and they're like, oh no, what have the kids gotten into? And they have their theories, and so I can imagine Moses going, "Uh uh-oh, we're taking off, and they're carrying these tablets of stone, which were likely the Ten Commandments, which God himself wrote, and they hear the commotion. Then we see this in verse 19. And as soon as he came near to the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot and he threw the tablets out of his hand and he the foot of the mountain and he took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people drink it. Full parent mode, right? Full parent mode. He breaks the tablets, a graphic depiction, I think, of the people breaking the Ten Commandments. He grabs the the bull, burns it, grinds it up, and gives it to the people to drink. Unconventional? Maybe. Effective? Absolutely. If they were going to worship the calf, they might as well be ready to eat it, right? And then imagine the whole place goes silent as Moses comes to the oldest, the most responsible, the one he put into place, the ringleader, Aaron, and they come face to face. He needed him to watch the people for 40 days while he was on the mountain. Just 40 days. And he comes back, and look what he's found. And Moses tries to give Aaron the benefit of the doubt. Verse 21, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them. He's saying, hey, did your brothers and sisters put you up to this? Did others make you do this? Obviously, something had to make you do this, Aaron, right? Then Aaron gives a prime example of how not to apologize and how not to repent of sin. Look what he says, verse 22 And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let anyone who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, I threw it in the fire, and out came a calf. Unbelievable. Aaron blames everybody else, and he even claims the calf is there by accident. I don't know what happened, Mom and Dad. It just sort of appeared. It jumped out of the fire. Friends, idolatry is most often attached with excuses and shifting the blame. You know, we really could think of Exodus 32 as another fall. Because he's just been on the mountain in the presence of God. He's given, given all these instructions of how to build this temple where the people will dwell again with God. And now the people are caught sinning. And like Adam responded in the aftermath of the sin in the garden, they pass the buck. And it's not just an Adam problem. The whole nation 
had been compromised. And that's the last thing I want us to see. We turn to idolatry when we are tempted by compromise. Tempted by compromise. Look at verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the words of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he may bestow a blessing upon you this day. Friends, what a brutal moment. It just, we need to have the weight of that on us. But we've got to remember, friends, the people of Israel had signed up for this. They said, hey, we're going to be your representatives to the world, Yahweh. We're going to be a nation of holy priests. And the penalty of disobedience is going to be particularly unrepentant disobedience was death. God set them free that he might serve them. Think about it this way. They were married to the God of Israel, and now they've been found with another lover. Look how they stewarded that responsibility, and they exchanged the one true God for a golden calf. The calf ended up grinded into dust, and those who worshipped it ended up in the dust. You become like what? You worship. And Moses asked such a poignant question Who is on the Lord's side? Whose side are you on? Who do you worship? And those who choose to reject God are met with divine judgment. They set themselves against God and His Word. They chose the side of the golden calf, even after being confronted in their sin. And we see God's severity. His holy goodness and righteousness, he will judge sin. And let this be a warning to you. Compromise will always take you further than you want to go and offer you far less than it promised. And in our day, temptation to compromise is real. In our day, there is a temptation to craft and embrace a God of human design, one fashioned by our current cultural moment, a God who has no wrath, no anger, who cares nothing about sin. It is called the God that is open and affirming. And friends, there's so much pressure on us, a God of all love and no teeth. But we must stand firm on the one true God of the Bible. What he said and who he is. We must not let ourselves be compromised an inch on the truths of the gospel or we'll find ourselves making excuses for anything. Compromise causes us to compose a God and a truth of our own imagination. One that will be destroyed and will be bitter to the taste. There is a way that seems right to man but the end is death. 
And even in the face of Moses pleading, God still brings judgment on some of the nation who remains unrepentant for this sin. And if Exodus 32 were to have application questions, I think one of them would be this. What golden calves are present in your life? What idols rule over your heart that you need to forsake? Because we will have a moment in time when we will be tempted to turn to false worship or to turn by faith to the one true and living God. You become what you worship, and the people who worship the calf ended up in the dust. And just like Exodus 32, your idols will often be revealed at your moment of greatest trial and temptation. In your fear, in your uncertainty, in your impatience, in the pressure of your peers to like you, to whom do you look? Whose side are you on? There was only one who can meet you in the moment of your greatest temptation and give you the grace to stand. And we must take heed lest we fall as these folks in the desert did. In fact, in the last verse, we read that God visits a plague on the whole nation. And one commentator says 20,000 Israelites perished in the plagues. His judgment was swift and just. The nation he'd rescued with his mighty hands had turned their backs on him. And it's incredible that this isn't where the story of Israel ends. God doesn't shut the story on Israel just when they blow it big. There is grace. Notice what Moses says. Verse 30. The next day, we're now at the third day, if you've been watching through the passage Moses said to the people, you sinned a great sin. Now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves a gods of gold. But now I will forgive their sin. But if not, but if you will forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. On the third day, Moses said, I will take the punishment for the people. If you won't forgive, Lord, let me take it. Blot my name out in their place. And God refuses the offer. Why? Because Moses can't be a perfect, sinless substitute on behalf of the people. Moses is going to blow it big and has blown it big. The people needed a sinless substitute to take the punishment in their place. And this prepares the way for a substitute who, rather than coming down the mountain to a people in judgment, ascended a mountain to a cross to experience judgment on behalf of his people. Just like Moses, Jesus Christ left the presence of God to go to a people who would forsake him all to save them from their sins. The third day makes all the difference. And the incredible news of the gospel is that the one true God bore the judgment due us for worshiping idols. The one true God became like you in order to save you. Friends, forgiveness of sin is available. You can turn from idols to the one true God. In fact, Moses destroyed the golden calf. 
And this is a reminder of two things. One, that there's nothing that has a hold on your life that God can't destroy and set you free from. And it's also a reminder that, friends, at the end of the day, those idols will not be there to help you. But rather, every idol, real or imagined, will bow the knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the question is, will you bow now or will you bow later? Will you be met with mercy or judgment? Will you repent, confess, and run to your Savior for mercy? Or will you cling to your self-righteousness, to your pride, and your excuses? It's those other people, God, that caused me to do this. Because a victim mentality will never see the victory that Jesus purchased. Today we stand in the same place as the people in Exodus 32 did. All of us righteously deserve the judgment of God. But we have one better than Moses who stands ready to save you and to bring you into right relationship with God. To take you from the foot of the mountain up into the very presence of God. All of grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. A golden calf can't do that. All the money in the world can't do that. Acceptance from your peers can't do that. Sexual liberation can't do that, but a sinless lamb can. And the invitation today is to stand firm in the face of the temptation toward idolatry and to look to Jesus to find life everlasting and filled with glory. In these next few moments, we have time to respond to God's word. Maybe today you have idols that you need to lay down and crush, whether metaphorically, physically, or otherwise. You can do that. You can, right where you are, can make a commitment and speak to God to crush those idols, or if you need additional prayer, I'll be down front. Maybe today you need to come to the one true God for the first time, and he stands ready to receive you. Whatever you've done, you can come as you are and know that he'll meet you where you are and transform you and take you to where he wants you to be. Jesus Christ came to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, and to rise again for you, to forgive you through faith by grace. Whatever you need to do, let's make this time to respond to the one true God who has spoken. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father in heaven, the temptation toward idolatry is real. We live in a fallen world and we have sinful human hearts that are easy to stray. We are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. But here's our heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. May we give ourselves fully into commitment to serving you. May we crush the calves that tempt us in our life. And may we give our full hope, allegiance, and obedience to the one who can ascend the mountain, who could have his name blotted out in our place, and who stands today as the sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.
God, we give you the worship that you're due, and may you be pleased with it. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries and trembles at his voice and trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great how great Beginning and the end, God had three in one. Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion and the Lamb, the Lion and the Lamb. How great! How great is our God!